Hi, good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christophe in Montreal, GeoGiagi. Thanks for being with us. This is the 118th edition of the program, and I'm going to be featuring a conversation I had with feminist economist, artist, and activist Cassie Thornton. This is revolving around a project that Cassie works on with many others internationally called The Hologram. It's also being put into book format, published by Pluto as part of the Vagabonds series. The book is called The Hologram, Feminist Peer-to-Peer Health for a Post-Pandemic Future. Cassie was in Montreal uh, at a residency taking place at the Darling Foundry, and we recorded a conversation about her project uh, that's really about developing alternative models for mental, social, economic, um, political health, and developing alternative networks of solidarity uh, that are rooted in community practices that Cassie first um, encountered while visiting community health clinics in the context of the economic crisis in Greece in the past decade. The conversation really goes to a lot of really important places and goes into content of the book, The Hologram. So I'll just leave the conversation to speak for itself. And thank you so much to Cassie for this exchange. Here's our interview. I mean, we'll just start very simple. Yeah. Uh, please introduce yourself and share a bit about not just the book on the hologram, but the whole project. I know that's a big question, but maybe there seems to be such an intersection there between um, community care, community health, activism, a critique of like institutional um, approaches to medicine, uh, also like this reality that we live in where um, we haven't really, I don't know what the right way of describing it, but it feels like your work is sort of trying to address this idea that we haven't really developed a more organized naming of how community care works um, and maybe like a suggestion at a potential model for for what that could be. So anyways, that's, but first please just introduce yourself. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm Cassie, and um, I guess my whole name is Cassie Thornton, and I've been working as a strange type of artist for a long time. Uh-huh. I just realized that it's now been like over a decade that I've had this project called the Feminist Economics Department, so I could use, the, the acronym is the FED, um, but I could use the FED as a way to like call myself, but also recognize that all of my projects come from like everything and everybody and that so many people's hands are on it. Mm. So, um, and it was a, it was a struggle for like a lot of years just to get to like have institutions or even like organizations and people recognize that I would like to be called the Fed and not Cassie. And so I just realized that that's been over a decade. And that was, I think that name comes because I was always really um, quite taken by the responsibility of like owning things mm-hmm. and the kind of debt that that creates. And so I've been like an anti-debt activist. Or I have been, I really am not anymore, but I spend a good, I spent a good decade 
as an anti-debt activist, mm -hmm. like working with um, American organizations like Strike Debt, mm -hmm. and then um, and that was in New York and California, but then also like working with my own family who was like dying of debt, and um, and then also. Um, eventually in Thunder Bay in Ontario, working with indigenous folks, mm -hmm. not on financial debt, mm -hmm. but really looking at like giving, receiving and owing in decolonial ways and learning a lot about that. So yeah, that's like, those are the things that are like underneath all the stuff that I do. And then um, I just really hate being bored. So, like, I think that nothing makes reality more boring than, like, money and debt and letting those things kind of control what we think is good or real. So now, after doing a lot of years of thinking about the way that debt and financialization controls our experience of reality, especially here in North America and, you know, in many, many other places in different ways, I really wanted, like, an antidote um, and I feel like the I've run into this project called the hologram, which is like um, a peer-to-peer -peer health model. And I thought, wow, there's something about really looking at how people treat each other and care for each other and care for themselves and how they see themselves as part of or not part of community um, that says a lot about the world and that if we shift the way that we deal with how we care for each other that we could potentially shift our way out of capitalism or out of at least the way we reproduce it um, in our lives and in our bodies and stuff and so the hologram was um, an idea and really a th like kind of a theor theoretical principle that I came up with a couple of years ago like in 2016 um, it was just really a conceptual art project at first that was about imagining um, how people could distribute attention and care based on what I saw going on in Greece. Um, and so I basically copied what I saw at a Greek clinic and this Greek clinic was uh, born because um, there was um, a lot of austerity happening in Greece because they were deemed bankrupt by the EU and so all of their funding was cut for medical services and it was at the same time as lots of migrants were coming in from Syria or from different places having experienced horrible things needing a lot of care and so um, lots of free clinics opened but one in particular was really really inspiring to me because um, they were trying to not only offer free care and medicine, but also non-hierarchical care. And that blew my mind, um, especially coming from the US context. And so um, I basically took their project and I tried to reproduce it as a, in a viral model. And their project was, one of them was called the integrative model. And so when people went to their clinic, they were seen by a doctor, a social worker, and a therapist at the same time. And it just seemed like so familiar, but also so impossible. And um, I got together with a bunch of friends and we tried to figure out if we could do that ourselves. But it was really tough this, in the U.S. to do it where we had like 
no money and no time and no space and everybody was feeling so fragile and everyone was feeling like they didn't trust anybody except for experts and they didn't even trust themselves. So we ended up with this thing where we were trying to reproduce what was happening at the Social Solidarity Clinic of Thessaloniki um, amongst ourselves. And we ended up with this thing that now is called the hologram. It's also called other things in other places, but um, basically one person invites three people to support them in a long-term regular way. And it's very structured. And um, it's become, it went from being like a conceptual art project to being like a real practice and something that's almost like a giant international, super chaotic, decentralized organization. So the hologram, it's um, a viral practice that distributes care. And um, we think that if in the model, um, all caretakers are taken care of, and we really believe that if all caregivers were cared for in the world, like everything would have to change. And it's a really interesting political project to work on. There's so many strands in there. So I think um, just rewinding and focusing on a few points just for people to maybe um, gather a more clear sense of the many ideas that you touched on. One is debt and financialization and how that has affected both your activism but also health. So connecting the body to the projected notions of reality that the financial system creates, right? Um, you talked about that in your book, about your own story and your family, which I'd really encourage people to uh, to look up Casey's book through Pluto Press, and we'll share the link. But so when we think about health as removed from the impacts of financialization, the impacts of debt, the impacts of the imposed financial system that obviously there's not a lot of democratic access to decision making around how that is run, both internationally, you talk about the US context and strike debt, but you also talked about how that impacted health um, realities in Greece. So maybe like we could just focus on this point, just the idea of how is community health and individual health impacted by this imposed financialization? And I, I think from what I gather from what you just shared, and thank you, but also from the book that you're trying to address that, the injustice of that impact in some way, or the, the, um, the, the sort of structural violence that manifests in, in a very physical way and mental way on health. Yeah, I mean, I think it helps to say what financialization is, um, which is like when um, when the sort of social goods that we need to to be okay or to, to thrive um, as individuals and as a society, when those things are become um, valued more for the profit that they can create for shareholders than for the services that they actually give. So like when healthcare becomes something that is ultimately traded on the stock market in different ways or when there are shareholders involved in pharmaceutical companies, which of course there are. Um, and I think like it also helps to define like health. And I think like health and healthcare to me starts 
it does involve the body, but the body requires like food and land and home and water in order to be okay. So when I think about health, I think about how it comes from contact, like all these different contexts. Um, and so, of course, all of these things, the food, the water, the land, um, and the care that we get are all in different ways financialized. Um, depending on where we live, of course, that some of that stuff shifts. So I think just to kind of zoom in on like care and the care industry um, is maybe good. And um, I think that if we only... I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm very, very American when I'm thinking about this, but um, I grew up in a way where like the only care I ever received, I paid for in credit cards or in cash or whatever. I like, I've only received care that, I mean, not, besides of course the care that I received from my mother and all the teachers that I've ever had and whatever, but like the, the medical care that I've received was always um, something that was, uh, given to me through a financial exchange. And I think that there's a lot that happens um, when th the support that we get, we, we come to know as coming from um, an ex a financial exchange where uh, people in the process are taken advantage of or are not properly valued. Um, which definitely happens when all of when big care systems are financialized. So like, um, when we know that the people that are taking care of us in the hospital are, are n maybe coming from a, like a racialized background, are not valued or paid well, are not able to care for themselves, um, I think it's a really damning way to receive care. Mm -hmm. um, I think it also happens in a way where um, when doctors are, um, doctors who we rely on for care um, don't, are not actually given or I guess, how do they say that, are not giving um, actual care. They're like actually maybe overvalued for what they do and um, we're not actually able to be seen by, as people because of the system that they work in. I just think that there's lots of different ways that financialization sort of seeps into lots of our, our experiences of like receiving care or giving care in like, you know, med industrial medical contexts. And... Um, so I think, I think what I witness, I think all over the world is that um, people are really hesitant to receive care from people that they know. Um, there's a lot of hesitancy and part of it is a fear of not wanting to owe someone, like not feeling that when you receive something you need to pay for it and that's the only thing, way things work. And so feeling like if I receive something, I'm going to owe it to someone and knowing that um, the people, people around us who we might um, be asking for support in our lives might already be quite exhausted or spent. Um, so I think that's one layer that's um, complicated for people. But then the other is just that um, I think like at the at the base of like financialization and capitalism is um, hierarchies and really like gross misuses of power and we're addicted to it. And so um, when you rely on um, the biomedical industry for your care, 
like you're also taught how to trust power and to go to to get power from or to get your healing or your medicine or your care from authority figures that we call doctors and so then and not that all doctors are problematic but it's just the fact that then we get trained to not necessarily trust those that aren't professionalized um, and to not necessarily feel like we can go for help to people around us just out of pure habit and kind of addiction to authority um, so I feel like it financialization and the privatization of care it it really kind of like seeps through and creates like so many different really weird um, kind of like obstacles to getting care that actually heals or transforms or supports thanks so much for sharing that breakdown um, one point that I find really so important and amazing about the hologram is that taking all the ideas you just expressed and at the beginning of our conversation you talked about your practice as an artist this project is some sort of intervention in relation to everything that you just outlined uh, and the critique of financialization of care um, often you know in the art world context uh, there are sort of nods to uh, critiques, systemic critiques, especially today more and more, which is a good thing. But often there's a symbolic gesturing towards those critiques, not sort of an attempt to do an effort that attempts or explores or creatively intervenes as a practical manifestation of a critique, which is really cool about the hologram. So maybe could you talk about that effort, both to try to manifest some sort of critique in a practice mm -hmm. and how it relates to the critiques you were talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like having a practice that goes with your beliefs is so important. I don't even know if I, I just don't think I knew that was possible or even a thing. Um, until I was a part of like a indigenous-led street patrol where we just went out to help people every Friday, like clockwork. And I think like being a part of a group that was like doing direct action support work um, that had really radical politics, but we had a practice, changed everything for me. Um, and I think that that's why I think I could be as um, clear with myself um, about this project as I am, which is that like, I mean, we talk about it now a lot in the hologram kind of collective that um, it's really important to practice it more than we talk about it. Um, to like make sure that it doesn't become like more rhetoric than it becomes like something that is in our bones. And, um, and I think that in some weird way, like, I don't really, I'm just trying to get my head around this lately, that, like, it feels like part of capitalism, um, like, capitalism has created, like, the conditions for academia and an academia that is so, like, abstract and theoretical mm -hmm. in so many ways. And so I just feel like I'm, I am and we are really trying to break that addiction to, um, like, working in, abstract and theoretical ways that aren't grounded in what's what we, what we can do with ourselves and like how we can 
change our habits in our lives. So I think it's maybe useful just to say like how the hologram works and how it actually, it like, it doesn't really embody a critique, but it embodies um, um, a set of practices that challenge different parts of, I think, how we're taught um, to live in capitalism. And so it's like, it's, I think we really try to be like, like optimistic and like say like, this, like there's a lot that's possible with what we have. And so like the, what it starts with a person um, who we call the hologram inviting three people to support them. And those three people we hope are people they already know or people that like acquaintances. And um, those three people um, begin to meet with the hologram um, probably in like a just a one-time thing at first and there's quite a structured protocol for a meeting but one person basically asks questions about like social health one person basically asks questions about physical health and one person basically asks questions about mental and emotional health and there's other parts to the meeting and protocol that like lead into that and lead out of that um, but the hologram is kind of like the expert and the teacher rather than being the patient or being the person who's broken. And so they organize this meeting for themselves. Um, and then they are also in charge of letting the others know when it's working or not working or when, what they need and how. Um, those three people stay in the same roles over time. So the idea would be that that crew of four people keep meeting like I meet with my group probably every two or three months more when things are bad and maybe less when things are steady but um, those people all stay in the same roles it doesn't rotate and the hologram is um, you know basically like over time helps those people ask better and better questions and those three people that are supporting them become like their living medical record they are there taking notes over time. And I think a big goal of the project is to make sure that those three people, they're not giving advice, they're asking questions and um, they're learning. And the reason that we call the hologram a teacher is because the hologram, um, by showing three people what it's like to ask for support and articulate their needs they make it possible for those three people to do it too because it's so unvalued, undervalued, and almost like kind of gross in our society to be like vulnerable and ask for help. I think we think that that like asking for help is like we have the most to learn from people who know how to ask for help. Um, and so um, the, the model continues by um, kind of playing with reciprocation. So the hologram doesn't turn around and give back what they receive to their three people. They instead make sure that each of those people have support themselves. And that might mean that they start a hologram and that the hologram could help the, the, new, the, the triangle member, the person asking questions. They could help them set up their own hologram. And so it grows virally. Or maybe it's something else. But um, we're like maybe four or five generations in. So there's people who have holograms, who have three people supporting them, and those three people have three people, and those three people have three people, and maybe there's one more generation. 
since we've been practicing it among, you know, the people that have been, that I know that have been involved for the pandemic. And so I think that the, um, the ways that it pushes up against some of the things that we learn in capitalism is through the way that reciprocation works, that it's not an exchange, like you don't give what you receive and receive what you give from the same person. It's more like creating like a culture of care and sort of trusting that um, the people that are caring for you are going to be cared for and making sure that that's the case, but you not being directly responsible for that. That's pretty tough. Um, and then I think the, I mean, there's lots of things, there's lots of ways that I think we're, we're playing with what's possible within human relationships and capitalism in this. But like, um, I think simply being the hologram is, is a challenge enough where, um, we're trying to show that, um, you can have power and be powerful by being vulnerable. And, um, that, is a lot. That was a conversation with Cassie Thornton, uh, who is the author of The Hologram, Feminist Peer-to-Peer -peer Health for a Post-Pandemic Future. It's also a project that Cassie works on with artists and alternative economists and activists around the world called The Hologram. I'd really encourage people to look up the book and Cassie's work. The book is published through Pluto Press. Uh, you can find it, um, just search uh, The Hologram. And I want to thank Cassie for this interview. And thank you for listening to Free City Radio. We have a new edition every week. And um, we broadcast uh, here in Montreal on CKUT 90.3 FM on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. We also broadcast here in Geogiage, Montreal, on CGLO 1690 AM on um, Tuesdays at 1 PM. And we broadcast on CKUW Radio 95.9 FM in Winnipeg Treaty 1 territory of the Métis Nation. That is on Tuesdays at 8 AM and on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario, Wednesdays at 11.30. We will soon be broadcasting in Sackville, New Brunswick, uh, so stay tuned for that. You can find us through Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just uh, search for Free City Radio. I'm Stefan Christoph. You can find all the archives for the program at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. Thanks again to Cassie for being on the program this week, and I'll see you next week with another edition. To go out on the show today, I'm going to feature a piece of music that is a collaboration between Ari Swan, Laurie Torres, and Stella Ajoke. The piece is called Who I Am. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next week. Take care.
Thank <laughs> you.